Live from the Padawanami Studios in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I'm your host, Jared Andrus, and welcome to History on the Dark Side. So in this environment, we get to the camps. And I know, like, there's different levels of camps. We hear the most about Auschwitz. They killed so many people there. It didn't even start as that kind of a camp. It developed into a killing camp, but that was not its intended purpose. There are others like Treblinka, which were in fact only designed to murder people. Mm -hmm. There was no work camps. There was no reason to have selections and have people line up and do all these things that we hear about in Auschwitz because you just went there and you died. There's no... There's a body of evidence of people who escaped from Auschwitz or who outlived the camp and were liberated. So we have people who have endured that or maybe they moved from camp to camp, which is weird. They did sometimes move prisoners from camp to camp. But a place like Treblinka, Treblinka everybody died. You don't get the opportunity. They don't wait in order to kill you. Like You're going there for a purpose and they're going to be pretty swift about that. Yeah. And so there they make... The, the area you get off this train, right? Mm-hmm. Trains are the big thing. And you're not like in a happy spot. You're stuffed into cattle cars. So you know it's not good. Yeah. But there they made huge like uh, movie studios when they put up the fronts for like a Western town. Yeah. And it's like all looks real. But then if you get behind them, you can still see all the, the slanted boards. It's just the fronts. Yeah. It's not a real place. They made that. So that when people are getting, they think they're in this little town, there's flower boxes. (laughs) They're like, we're going to, this is just where we're going to live for a little while. But then they still have that hope in their minds of, okay, well, maybe we can't escape. We've heard stories of other people doing that. Maybe that can be us. And where are you coming from? A ghetto somewhere likely. Mm -hmm. Where it was bad. pretty nice. (laughs) So even if you're not sure what's going on here, I mean, hey, there wasn't no good either. Yeah. But this place, it's clean. It's pretty. We've got flowers. Now, if you're the second train of the day, it's going to be different because you're going to you're going to smell some things. Yeah. <laughs> and that things is going to be the first train, and yeah. everybody who was on that. Um, they developed uh, killing them, gassing them, mm-hmm. and then they decide pretty early that they're going to have to burn the bodies to reduce them down. That mm-hmm. smells is going to be a problem that yeah. haunts people throughout. Like if we're going to keep on this psychological thing, when they start staffing camps like Treblinka or, or uh, Belzenbergen or Auschwitz, the people who work there are smelling this burning flesh all, all the time. All the time. Now, we know that if you are around something long enough, your body sort of gets used to it and mm-hmm. doesn't notice it as much. Um, out here in Idaho, lots of farms, right? And there's different parts of areas where bigger farms are and if there's a whole bunch of cows, man, it smells like cow poo. Yeah. <laughs> but if you live there, you probably wouldn't even notice it because you're just around that odor all the time. Yeah. Similar kind of things happen with, with the burning bodies in these places. What's weird is a lot of the people who work these camps, they're the commandants, they're the guards, they have other jobs, even if they're not directly tied to the killing. Mm-hmm. They have their families there. Not like out where all the death stuff's happening. But they're living. But just out of sight. 
And all of those families are getting used to it too. They are. What a weird thing, right? That's really weird. Like my, so my anatomy teacher, she, the first school that she worked at was across the street from a crematorium. And okay. every now and then when she taught her early morning class, they would be cremating a body and she could smell it. And it was just so much that she's like, okay. And packed up all the kids and moved them down to the library because it's such a, that's such a weird, bizarre thing to have mm -hmm. to smell the burning flesh of another person. Yes. And to be around that and to subject your families to that and to be so used to it that you don't even notice it anymore is disgusting. So we've got these psychological ploys to make people compliant. I mean, at any given time, if you're even in Auschwitz, right, you got, I don't know, several tens of thousands of prisoners. You don't have tens of thousands of guards. Yes, they have the weapons. But if at any time every single prisoner decided all at once to, to, to go and fight, that might work. There's just not enough guards. They got all the guns, but I don't know if that would work, you know. Mm -hmm. So you need ways psychologically to make these people compliant. Yes. And if you can't make them compliant, to keep them off balance. Okay, I guess that's another good place to go. So if we're uh, a camp where you're just going to kill people, it doesn't matter. You show up. Hey, look at the pretty windows. That's great. Let's go in here, take our shower. You're done. Yeah. That's it. If you're going to go to a place like Auschwitz, where there is a chance to stay alive for some length of time because of the experimental parts of the camp, because of the work parts of the camp, then you've got some issues there. Um, I guess before I get too into that, we had talked earlier today about uh, uh, a doctor doing a surgery. Mm -hmm trying to find some nerves in a knee. Yeah. And the best possible anatomical sketches and pictures were from a book that dates back to the Nazi era. And there's a chance that those pictures are based on who knows what, right? Mm -hmm. That they could be someone who died, that could be a Jew, we don't know. And, you know, is that even ethical to use that kind of thing? So while the Holocaust is going on, in Germany, the dedication to science is hot. It explodes. It's big. And now they have um, a much easier opportunity than they've ever had before to get skeletons, to get brains to study, to get whatever you want. If you need a human organ mm -hmm. to study you have an unlimited supply, basically. Yeah. Now, the Germans, of course, find a way to make a buck off of this. And we're not talking about, you know, ragtag little back deal, door deal stuff. We're talking about, like, the University of Vienna. Hey, we need more eyeballs. Oh, Don't we worry. can help you out. Yeah. How many would you like? What color would you like? Who would you like them to be from? You can almost make an order and check whatever boxes you want. Because as long as you don't mind, don't ask, but it came from a Jew from somewhere, we can give you exactly what you need. What you need. That has never existed in human history really before. Yeah. Okay. And so you've got these academic institutions, medical institutions, you know, that medical academia that uses this as a bonanza to get... Um, it will help just advance like human medicine and anatomy and stuff like that in order to learn more about the human body itself at the expense of 
you know, all of these people that are dying anyway. And that's the kicker, right? They're dying anyway. And so what is your if, if you know, okay, well, since we're getting them from, you know, Germany and all this stuff is kind of going on in Germany, there's a possibility that this batch of whatever human organs I got just came from a concentration camp. Okay, well, at least they were going to die anyway. So now we're putting their bodies to good use. We're advancing medicine. We're furthering it. They're trying to justify it in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. And do they not know? Is I mean, there's a level where you can go, yeah, I'm not really sure. I probably don't want to know. I'm not going to ask. Don't tell. And then there's got to be a point where it's just too easy. And like it, there's the supply and the quantity in which I was given this. It's just too great for it not to be a tragedy. Right. Something had to happen. And you either have to decide if you're going to turn the other cheek or, you know, try and, like I was saying, try and justify it or those other things. And if you're going to turn the other cheek, that only works if every other institution turns the other, turns cheek. The other cheek too. Otherwise, um, you're univers- looking pretty bad. Well, universities are ultra competitive. And medical universities in Germany at the time, they are top of the world. And they want to stay that way. However they feel personally about the Nazis, and we know from previous talks that a lot of doctors, much higher than the regular population, joined the Nazi party. But even if you're, it's never the majority. It's never 70%. Yeah. But you still want your medical establishment to stay on top and to become better so that you can get more students and have a better reputation and... And we can even see the same kind of thing happening now. Like any time uni- like something happens at a university or it's discovered that a university is supporting something that is unpopular in the eyes of the public, they get slammed for it. And they don't want that. They want to look as good as they can so that way they can get as many admissions as possible. And the same kind of thing is happening. If every other university realizes, hey, that where we're getting this stuff isn't from a good source and the one university that did decide to turn the other cheek continues to do that, they're gonna get hammered for it. Yeah, if MIT gets all of NASA's leftovers, they're gonna be able to do some stuff that the University of Pennsylvania is not gonna be able to do. And if they're like, you know what, I don't think it's fair that we get everything from NASA, we're gonna cut off that deal and just stay out of it. Okay, (laughs) as long as any other university on earth goes, we'll take it. (laughs) they're going to have that chance to increase their technology footprint. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot grosser when you think of it in terms of people and organs and anatomical things than parts of the Mars rover. These are kind of apples and oranges. But just so you can wrap your head around the level of competition at universities, it isn't just that Germany wants to be the top-end medical establishment in the world, But even within Germany and the greater German Empire, there's competition for, well, we're going to be the top of the top. Yeah. And that matters. And sometimes we see it all the time. People make unethical decisions when they get put in those kind of dilemmas. Okay. The next thing that they're going to do at the camps to put as many fingers in the pot of death as possible so that everybody can feel like, well, it wasn't my finger, right? It's going to be doctors who perform the selections when people come off the trains. Mm-hmm. So it's a medical professional who's going to decide who's going to the labor camp and who's going in the oven. Okay. I don't know why you need a doctor. If you're a kid who's like under 12, you're going in the oven. If you're, a, you, wo- 
you can't perform nearly as much labor, and so already you're kind of useless, and they're just going to get rid of you. If you're an older man or woman, or a pregnant woman, you're going in the oven. There's, there's no medical anything about that. We know what they need at the work camps. And just like we talked about this moral dilemma for universities that they kind of failed, companies in Germany failed miserably. The reason Auschwitz grows so big is because it's connected to these huge forced labor camps that are owned by IG Farnsworth or, oh, it's IG something. Sad that I'm forgetting the name right now. But the point is they're this huge company. They're not the only one. And they're bringing in, you know, we need labor. Well, the Germans are like, we can supply you. And they're like, hey, the labor you're sending us isn't really that great. They're not very strong. They can't keep focused. But the Germans are like, well, it's okay. If they can't do it anymore, send it back. We'll send you somebody new. Indefinitely, forever. Which, and it also, like, kind of makes sense why, like, companies would be failing. Because as more and more, as, you know, things progress and more and more, like, these camps, they they don't feed them much. But they do still feed the prisoners because they have to keep them alive for the labor. Yeah. They have to provide them with clothes, which means that some sort of textile industry is growing. Just different aspects like that that are involved in order to keep a person alive, no matter what conditions they're alive, all of that is contributing to and is making all these other companies suffer because as they get slammed more and more, like, oh, you're supporting that camp. Like, eventually people start to realize what's happening. Yeah. So we've got doctors is the first person you're going to see making a selection. It's not based on medicine. It's pretty cut and dry. It is pretty cut and dry. Your ability to work. And then you're going to go off, if you're not sent to the oven, let's say you are sent to the ovens, you're going to the ovens. Well, you're going to have primarily Polish or other countries or Jewish doctors, nurses, medical staff. They're doing the jobs there. So as you go in, you're going to be ushered in by the, you know, the SS, by the camp guards. But as soon as you get in, the people you're going to deal with the most from that point forward are going to be people in the medical community who are actually prisoners themselves. Mm -hmm. And those prisoners are allowed to, um, I don't know, what's the word? Live. If they take on some of these tasks that lead to the killing of others. So then is that why, like, it's not very common in order for, like, a, you know, if a Jewish doctor is a prisoner in this camp, the reason that they're going to continue to perform these duties instead of, oh, hey, like, you're part of my people, I'll, I'll like, do what I can to let you live is because their own lives are at risk? It is. And it was similar when they were just in the ghettos. This isn't as medical, but it is kind of psychological. They would take the chief rabbi or some other political leader and say, hey, you're in charge of these people in the ghetto. We're going to send 5,000 people to camps. You pick them, have them here and ready. So who's that take the blame off of? It takes the blame off of the Germans and the mm-hmm. ones that are, you know, like the the people that were getting so psychologically messed up and pushing the blame onto these Jews that are going to end up dying anyway. Right. In the it's the rabbi's state. fault. He picked these guys. Yeah, so they don't, And if they get psychologically messed up, they don't care. It's not them. Right, right. And then it also reinforces that, see, these guys are animals. They're sending their own people. They don't have a choice. They think they have a choice. And there's also that, like, fight or flight, that natural instinct in order to save your own life. So that's 
those doctors and people like the rabbis they're all trying to do that as well so they're not going to fight back because they want to live too and there's always the hope there's always the small slight possibility that if they do everything they're told then they will live and now a special word from our sponsors Hey, Bubba, what's going on? I've been stuck in this dang old line for what seems like all morning. Let's go up there. Well, Bubba, you done going about this all wrong. You gotta get yourself one of these hair. And what, pray tell, is that supposed to be? Well, that right there is a leapfrog card, Bubba. Ray Ray, you and I have been friends a long time, but you need to start making some sense right now because I'm about at the end of my rope. What the heck is a leapfrog card? You know I watched a lot of that there moonshining show and on one of them there commercials, they had this here leapfrog card. I sent in my money and with this card, I ain't got to wait no line, no way, no how. Watch, Bubba. We're going to go right up to the front. Just like that. Come on, Ray Ray. No, you come on, Bubba. We going to the front of the line. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, see, there you go. Um, excuse me, gentlemen. As you can clearly see, there is a line. Well, oh, contraire, mon frere. Look at that, we got us a leapfrog card. So I'm reckoning it's our turn now. Oh, well, I see. Please, please forgive me. How can I help you find gentlemen today? The leapfrog card for the more, or, well, less distinguished taste. Because we don't always have time to wait. And now back to the dark side. And in the, in the camps, you've got the, the commando units, which are going to be the, the prisoners that are doing some of these work details around the, the death part of the death factory, right? So you'll have, like I said, nurses or doctors that are getting you in. You'll have, uh, most likely, one of those people will actually take the gas, the Zyklon B, from a German, you hand it to one of these guys, he's gonna drop it in. Um, the people that clear out the dead are gonna be the prisoners. prisoners. And they may or may not be medical at that point, but every so often, the people who do all these jobs, right? Like, hey, pretty randomly, this is the eighth time you've done it, you're in the oven this time because we have more coming in all the time. Even when that's nurses or doctors or whatever, when you're trying to get rid of an entire population, you get a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so this is yet another way that people are able to kind of stand back and say, well, I didn't kill them, right? To wipe their hands clean of the blood. A rabbi sent them. He picked them. He didn't have any choice, right? But a rabbi picked them or whoever, the local political Jewish leader. They came on the trains. A doctor selected them whether they're gonna live or die. And if I'm that doctor, right? 
ultimately, who's going to die there? It's all of them are at some. All point. of them are. Every all one of them, them is going to die. So you have to try and decide who is going to live longer before they die. Anybody I choose to go to the work camp, I saved their life. I am not a killer. I'm a savior because I'm selecting people who get to live a little bit longer. You're welcome. Hooked you up. It's all the little <laughs> tiny psychological things that you have to do to survive, whether that be pass the buck on to somebody else or think of it and justify it as, no, 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 I'm doing you a favor. Right. And so this all kind of is this natural bureaucratic response to how horrible it went for these Eisengruppen troops when this all started and you're just shooting people in the head. It just didn't work. Mm -hmm. It just didn't work. We've got, uh, we've got a couple minutes left. So I think where things are headed, let's just talk about some experiments that happened yeah. in the concentration camps and in this era. Okay, we talked about how when we went into Poland, we had a big playground. Yep. There's no rules, there's no morality. Well, in these camps, you really don't have any morality. Everyone there is gonna die. Yep. It's just a matter of does anything useful happen with Be them because before them? And if they live one day longer, even in pain, have you done them a favor? Yeah. So this is the attitude. Now we see, like we talked about before with the troops, there's some people who are going to be really attracted to this. Mm -hmm. There are sadists who would just thrive in this world. Yeah. But this world didn't exist before. So all of a sudden, some people find themselves here and just, they love it. They do great. I mean, when I have uh, Bobby Joe here tomorrow, we'll probably talk about Dr. Mengele. That's a guy who really seems like he was just born for the concentration camps. He just, he's the one who did all the experiments on twins. He really got off on it. It was like a perfect world for him. He could do whatever he wanted. Didn't really affect him that much. It didn't. He never would have had that chance without the Nazis and the war and all that. But man, we sometimes talk about when the right person gets in the right place at the right time and the magic happens. Well, when the wrong person gets in the wrong place at the wrong time, sometimes the depravity happens. So some of the experiments are going on. Now, we have talked about how these camps become a perfect vehicle to get organs or skeletons or whatever yeah. into the hands of academia. None of that's free. No, definitely not. Those schools are buying those. Especially because, like we talked about in my first episode with the Volk, Germany's still trying to recover from World War I, right? So they're still like pretty in poverty. Well, they've right? kind of smoke and mirrored their way out of that problem. Okay. But this World War II ain't cheap either. For sure. Um, like, and everybody likes making a quick buck. We could do one later on about um, the economics of Germany. There's some super interesting stuff that gets done, but ultimately it's smoke and mirrors. And if they don't win enough of the war quick enough, there's going to be an economic collapse. Yeah. And so that is hanging over their head. So they're always looking for a way to make a buck. Yeah. And especially, like we talked about, you're going to funnel your money one of two places, either to the front to fight yep. or to these camps to kill Jews. Yeah. And if I'm funneling money to these camps, 
then I better be making something off of it too. Otherwise, the front is going to suffer. I got to subsidize that. And that's what's really going to cause the collapse is if we're not winning the war, we're going to like we're going to fail economically. All right. So everything they do, they're looking for some economic components. With yeah. experimentation in the camps, there's two main forms. One, way back at the beginning when we talked about sterilization, yeah. they are actively seeking that all the way into the last days of all the concentration camps that did that kind of thing. Like days before Auschwitz is liberated, they're still conducting experiments to try and figure out the best way to sterilize somebody. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to do that. Um, they experiment surgically. How quick can we snip snip and give somebody a vasectomy or tubal ligation? They do a lot of experiments with x-rays mm -hmm. to see how effective is it to use x-ray technology to burn those internal organs okay. so that no one you know, yeah. can have kids. And then they are trying to find this magical bullet of, can we use x-rays in a way that the people we sterilize don't even know we did it? Can we just set up, I don't know, the sterilization counter at the fair and everybody who comes through that we don't like, we hit the button, we zap their uh, private parts and they can never have a kid again and they never even know why. That's like some weird twisted dream they have. That's yeah. the pinnacle. And they never quite find that. Thank goodness. <laughs> but they do make some progress where they think they're coming close. So that's a little twisted. Yeah. Um, the other kind of experiments are just more um, about the war. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've got soldiers that get wounded. Yep. We got guys that fly. And back then, flight's relatively new. You know, it's really in the 20s and 30s that we move into the, the age of flying. How high you can go, you know, is a, it affects the pressure because yep. it's different the higher you go. They don't know what that looks like. So they do all these pressure tests to see how much pressure can you put on a person, which would be simulated by, you know, if a plane's diving, if it's flipping or turning there's going to be these different g-forces yeah so they've got these you know giant spinning mechanisms that'll just throw you throw you around over. and you know you might die and they'll just document well hey he lived until he reached this point yeah. or here we have this kind of um apparatus for them to wear that you could wear if you're a fighter pilot i could wear this vest in a plane to help control the my blood flow and and the, right, because pilots today, if you're a jet fighter pilot, you know, you wear that suit and part of that suit and the air and everything you've got going is to keep your blood from getting out of your core. Mm -hmm. Because if it leaves your core in some kind of maneuver, you're going to you're going to pass out. Yeah. So they're doing very early experiments along that line. And it's easy because we just do it. And if we kill the guy, oh, well, let's test 10 out. more and see if they all die at that exact level or not. Yeah. That's one type of experiment that they're doing. Um, another one involves freezing. Okay, well, who's the best general in Russian history? It's a really good question. I don't know. Winter. Oh. <laughs> general Winter. He defeated Napoleon. Oh, yeah. He defeated the um, Nazis. Winter in Russia is really flipping cold. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And so the, the battle plan after Operation Barbarossa when they invaded Russia was, hey, we're going to win Russia. We're going to take over Moscow before winter. Because we're gonna have this, winter comes and this we're going to this blitzkrieg, and then we'll be able to calm down and wait for the next spring to clean up anything else. It doesn't happen. 
the Russians just barely hold on, mm -hmm. and the winter comes and everything bogs down. And now, yeah, the Russians are trapped there too. It's not like if you live in Russia, winter's fine, you're used to it. It's rough. It's still rough, but you have some, I mean. You have more resources to be able to handle it than somebody who's just trying to like come in and invade, right. especially since it's in a war, there's limited resources already. There are, and the Germans were so confident in their ability to get where they needed to get into Moscow before winter that their soldiers aren't even taking their great coats. They're traveling light, they're made to move fast, they haven't brought the winter gear because they don't need it. And, and then guess what? And they for months, it looked like they were gonna make it. And then all of a sudden, winter breaks, it finally hits, and now the German soldiers, they're getting frostbite, they're getting hypothermia, they're freezing to death. There's also a big concern about rescuing pilots, okay? Mm -hmm. In any of these countries, a pilot is harder to replace than an infantryman, yes. right? You've gotta have some skill and training to fly this plane. Yep. And so keeping pilots alive becomes big. And so there's experiments, hey, if I've got my pilot, he was going to bomb in England, or he was gonna go bomb over the Baltic Sea in Russia. If he bails and hits the drink, what's hypothermia gonna do to him? When's it gonna kill him? When does frostbite set in? What's the best way to bring somebody back from extreme hypothermia? How can we equip them better in order to prevent that or to delay it? Or and they can basically just have a blank slate and say, okay, we're going to take this guy, we're going to throw him in ice water until he passes out. He's not dead, but he's passed out. And then and we're going to try and revive him by rolling him up in this blanket, by putting him in warm water, by putting him in hot water, by using devices. They'll just try whatever they want. And if he dies, next yeah, just call on the next one. They've got an infinite supply, at least that's what it seems like, at their disposal. And if I'm a doctor conducting this kind of experiment, the end result is a German pilot's life may be saved. And if we these- We will help Germany win the war because this pilot is saved. And if these people who are gonna die anyway, they wouldn't be here if they weren't gonna die. At least they can help make medical advancements. Right. Really, third time? Yeah, apparently it's a long show, right? So that's one kind of, another kind of experiment that goes on. And then, oh, what are the other kind of wartime experiments? Um, with diseases. Oh, yeah. I'm so sure. we've got, you know, penicillin's around. We've got some basic antibiotics and everything. It's nowhere near like a battlefield medic today. I mean, you can be pretty close to dead and ripped in half, and they can kind of save you from a lot of stuff today. It's amazing. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out the best way to treat different diseases. Some of these are sexually transmitted diseases, okay? I want to be able to cure the German Aryans I like and help them out. I probably don't care if these other people get it. but So we'll take somebody Mm -hmm. of whatever age, of whichever sex, and will infect them on purpose with a disease. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether that's, you know, something like syphilis mm -hmm. or if that's just any other disease that's of a non-sexual nature because you've got all these diseases running around in a war. And you need Conditions some way are never to perfect. help all of them. And why not just try them all and, you know, see what, see what you can work out. So they're intentionally wounding people just so they can see what treatments will be the best, what drugs might be the most effective. But there's no, you know, there's no code of ethics involved here. No, there's no board to rule, no, that's crossing a line. Or, mm, we're not, that's a little too far, you can't do that. 
And if you're one of those doctors, you've ever got in your mind, I'm helping save a life at some point. And you were going to die anyway. This guy was going to die anyway. Got to go for medical advancement. And if you're a doctor and you're there and you can't really work, you know, you'd say, hey, I got to go. I can't really do this. And they'd move you. Yeah. Uh, the problem is sometimes they'd move you to like the Eastern Front where you're fighting the Russians. Like if you're a jack wagon about it, they move you to the Russian Front. You're going to die there. Yeah. And if you're not a jack wagon about it, they move you because they don't want you being a tattletale and ratting out the Nazis for all the bad things they've done. Yeah. And they also want you, like, I'm, I'm sure that there were probably some people who were like, no, I just need, like, a little break. And then they, like, you know, yeah. can come back and start working again. And they just, they want you to be there to perform these tests, to try and come up with new advancements, to try and save those soldiers' lives, to come up with something. And let's, let's talk about that little break. We'll kind of end on this. So lots of people who are at these camps are able to perform their duties and be surrounded by death every single day, mm -hmm. smell death in the air, deal with it on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, and they're able to go home for three or four weeks on leave, hang out with their families, take their kids you know, to the beach or whatever. Whatever it is you do, they're able to do that just fine. And then they and then they, back they go back weeks. and they re up and get back into the the psychology of what you have to do there. It's all about detaching from the work you're actually doing and it the is. consequences of it. Oh, I'm not actually doing that. Yeah. And then it makes it easier to go back home. And then when you come back, you just got to detach again. And you've got lots of instances where a soldier who's in a camp would drink heavily and smoke and all these things, and the minute he goes home, it just wouldn't. Like it wasn't a thing. And then when he goes back, he's right back on those things as his way to deal with it. And I know from learning about the Vietnam War, and this isn't necessarily from grandpa's stories, but yeah. you know, I'm, I study history. You had a lot of instances in wars like that where people in country mm -hmm. would do drugs and all these things that they never did back home. They just assume a different kind of persona and identity mm -hmm. in order to be able to function in this weird world. Anything that they can in order to numb the ethical part of them that's screaming at them. And I guess ultimately these people are, were able, because of that detachment and that ability to separate, to compartmentalize psychologically, that's maybe the reason that, that after the war, they're able to just get back into society. Mm -hmm. And when they get arrested by the Israelis 40 years later, the, well, I don't even understand. Why are you here? Either that or like because of that detachment and compartmentalization, they were able, like that's part of the reason why I was able to go on for so long too, yeah, yeah. is because like we saw with that first group when they're just lining them up and shooting them, it wasn't working. But because they found a way that they can psychologically remove themselves, they found a way to continue that process. All right, well let's cut it off there because man, I don't know if the audio is even going anymore. Something weird happened there. <laughs> I'm going to take a look here in a minute. Um, thank you, Katie. Yeah, thank you. We'll, I enjoyed being on the show. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye from the dark side. There we go. Hey. Thank you for listening to season two of History on the Dark Side. If you're enjoying this season, I highly recommend the following book, The Nazi Doctors by Robert J. Lifton. Not only is it valuable source material, but this is the definitive book on this subject matter. 
As far as documentaries go, I highly recommend Auschwitz, The Nazis and the Final Solution by the BBC. I don't think there's a better documentary about The Final Solution. I'd like to recommend iCivics. Now, this doesn't have much to do with the Nazis, but if you are a history teacher like myself, or you have a history class, or you're just interested in anything to do with American government or American history, there's a lot of materials at iCivics.com that you can use. And I also want to recommend the Anchor app. If you need to distribute or make a podcast, they make it pretty simple. Special thanks to a lot of people who helped this show happen. I'd like to thank my cohorts at Eagle Rock Middle School, Jeff and Brett. They listen to me go on and on about what I'm trying to do and help kind of guide my thoughts. I give a lot of thanks to my family. Not only do I have the kids that come up and guest host, they also do some work in the background as far as some of the engineering and helping out with the parody commercials. I suppose if you're listening to this now, you already know how to find the program, but feel free to recommend it to any of your friends that might like it as well. It's available on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, so just about anywhere you can find a podcast, you should be able to find The Dark Side. I have recently started a YouTube channel for History on the Dark Side, so if you would, if it's easier for you to watch or to listen to the audio on YouTube, you can find me there. And currently under construction, I have a website, historyonthedarkside.com, so hopefully sometime before the end of season two, that is up and running. Thank you once again. I'm so grateful for anybody who takes the time to listen to this, and I will see you next time on The Dark Side.